Welcome to Eat Blog Talk, where food bloggers come to get their fill of the latest tips, tricks, and insight into the world of food blogging. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll provide you with the tools you need to add value to your blog, and we'll also ensure you're taking care of yourself because food blogging is a demanding job. Now, please welcome your host, Megan Porta. Okay, food bloggers, have you heard of Flowdesk, the new big email marketing rage? This is an amazing new option for managing your email subscriber list. It is super easy to use and it comes with gorgeous, intuitive drag and drop templates. And Flowdesk does not charge based on number of subscribers. So your monthly rate will stay the same from month to month. Everyone pays $38 a month or use my affiliate link to get 50% off and pay only $19 a month. You guys, this is a fraction of the price of other email service providers, and you'll be blown away by the beautiful and intuitive templates waiting for you inside. Visit eatblogtalk.com forward slash resources to grab your link. Flowdesk, the stunning new option for email marketing. What's up, food bloggers? Welcome to the Eat Blog Talk podcast made for you, food bloggers who are seeking value for your blogs and for your lives. In today's episode, I will be talking to Kate Hansen from colonesco.com, and we will be discussing how to launch a physical product using Kickstarter. Kate and her husband Bryce developed the world's first ergonomic spout and handle for mason jars called the Ergo Spout and launched it on Kickstarter in July 2018. They met their initial funding goal in 14 hours and went on to raise over $40,000 for more than 1,000 backers. After using their funds to manufacture the Ergo Spout, they have continued to build a brand of kitchen products focused on helping cooks create and use their pantry items. They hope to ensure that pantry to table becomes the new cooking movement. Uh, I love this topic, Kate. It's such a cool one to chat about. But before we dive in, give us a quick fun fact about yourself. All right. I'm a little embarrassed to admit this, but I decided to share the fun fact that I play Pokemon Go. <laughs> I have a an 11-year-old son and we've been playing together and it's it's great to play with your son but I confess I sometimes play by myself but it's honestly a lot of fun. So if you are a Pokemon Go player, next time we're at EFC or you see me, let's become friends so that we can, you know, send each other gifts. That's such a unique thing, but you know what? My sons too got into it a few years ago and I was like, "Give me that. I want to <laughs> see what this is all about." And we were on vacation at the time, so I was literally wandering through the Utah like desert trying to find Pokemon characters and I just had to like stop and like, "Megan, <laughs> you have got it's to It's a little addicting. Have it, get a grip. <laughs> yeah, it was addicting. I had to like, I had to set it down because it was really easy to get caught up in it. So I hear you. I feel you, Kate. <laughs> okay, good. I'm glad good. you confessed this to us. <laughs> good. good. That's a great fun fact. Thank you for sharing that, for being brave enough to share that. Now onto our main topic today. And I'm super excited to talk to you about this, launching a physical product using Kickstarter. First of all, Kate, I love your product, the Ergo Spout. As a food blogger, I constantly have mason jars filled with all types of liquids that drip and ooze all over myself and all over my table. So getting my hands on your product was a dream. Before we get into a more general discussion about launching products, would you mind talking to us a bit about how the Ergo Spout came into being and what prompted the 
idea to create sure. it. Sure. I am a longtime food blogging fan. I love to cook and I have been reading food blogs since the beginning of their existence. And I, when my kids were a little bit younger, I would make homemade maple flavored syrup for them for breakfast. And I had a vintage syrup dispenser that belonged to my mother-in-law. It was a gift from her. And one morning I chipped it. I was really disappointed because it was vintage, couldn't find anything online, you know, searched eBay, couldn't really find a replacement. Everything that was on the market was plastic and I didn't really like it. And I had said to my husband, what I really want is I just really like a lid that'll turn a mason jar into a syrup dispenser. And it was my husband who had always wanted to launch the Kickstarter campaign. So we sort of took both of our ideas and turned my idea into a Kickstarter campaign that we launched together. Oh, that's so cool that you kind of used each other to come up with a plan. He had a method and you had a product. So I love that. And it is a great product. Oh, Do you. you guys use it a lot in your house? Oh, I have like seven in my kitchen. <laughs> I'm sure. I have lots of ideas for using it. Yeah. And my kids will just grab one and then I don't worry about them making a mess if they're you know, pouring something or opening something, they can do it. It's a deal breaker, kind of like if I see a mason jar in my fridge and I know that there's a liquid in it that I just don't feel like pouring, I'm like, eh, and I'll sometimes just close the fridge back up. <laughs> but knowing that that spout is available, it's like it almost encourages me to pull out whatever I'm looking at. So it really is a cool product. Oh, good. I'm glad you like it. <laughs> yes, I love it. So now talk to us a little bit about Kickstarter platform and what it offers today, because I personally do not know a whole lot about it. I do know that it's previously been a place for product validation. Is that correct? Uh, so Kickstarter's actually been around for about 10 years. And I think the idea of crowdfunding is the idea of raising small amounts of money from a large group of people. Most of us are probably more familiar with GoFundMe because we see those shared on social media, which is the idea of raising money from small donations for, for someone. But GoFundMe is a donation-based platform. So the only thing you're getting out of it is the satisfaction of knowing that you might have helped someone, whereas Kickstarter is a rewards-based platform. So the idea behind Kickstarter is you donate with the expectation you will get something back for that donation. And that's typically a physical product that in our case, it was, we're going to build this spout and handle for mason jars. And if you give us your money now, once we build it, we'll send it to you. So that's how Kickstarter is a little bit different is it's the idea that you're going to raise money for a project but the people who donate are expecting to get something back in return. So every person or organization that donates toward your project gets the product. There's different levels of donations. So typically you're saying like we would say if like on ours, if you donate $15, we'll send you one spout. But if you donate 30, we'll send you two. You know, if you donate this much. And so there are different rewards levels for those donations. And so you can set that yourself as part of your project, but they're expecting to get something. That makes more sense. Right. And so, so Kickstarter has been a place where people have launched physical products and, you know, movies. In fact, the Veronica Mars movie was launched on Kickstarter. So it's a place where you can launch things with the expectation that you're going to get something back of, of what you're donating to. Okay. That makes so much more sense to me because I read through your notes and I was looking at rewards based and I didn't really know what that meant, but I like that you can kind of set your own rewards and then go from there. That's really cool. Is there anything more that you think we should know about the Kickstarter platform before well, we move on? Well, one thing I'd like to share is that Kickstarter has traditionally been kind of a, a male realm. It's a place where a lot of men have launched products, but statistics have shown that women created projects are more likely to fund and tend to raise more money per backer. And I love those statistics because I think what it tells me is it's a great place for women to launch products. 
I love that too. I love that so much. So historically, it was a place for men to be, but women proved to be more efficient in some aspects of it. So they are shining. They, they are. <laughs> That's great. I love that. Okay, so let's talk about products now. Keeping in mind that we are speaking to food bloggers, give us some ideas about products that we could make and sell through this platform or services. I think one thing to say is Kickstarter is not a great place for services. Because it's a rewards-based platform, people are expecting to get something in return and you're typically paying for something in advance. The idea of paying for a service in advance isn't something that people love. And so I think it's hard to create, you know, a project that people would want to invest in just to get a service out of it. I mean, there, there may be circumstances where you could come up with something, but I think that's a little bit trickier because people are expecting to get something back. It's like, it's the equivalent of purchasing a coupon, which they may not be willing to do. So I think focus on physical products or I think the other thing to say is a movement, some, something that people can get behind. And I'll give a couple examples of that in a, in a minute. So when it comes to products, like we actually created and developed something that didn't exist before. And that's obviously a lot more involved because you're going to have to develop the product before you ever launch the campaign. And so I like to think of it as a spectrum, like that's something that's going to take a lot more work. But then there's also other physical products that you might consider launching. For example, a cookbook. It takes a certain amount of money to do a printed run of a nicely bound cookbook. And if that's something that you would want to do, then I think cookbooks would be a really great fit for food bloggers. And I actually was doing a little research before we got on to see what kind of cookbooks had been successful. And I was able to find quite a few. Just to launch an average everyday cookbook might not pull people in and make them willing to donate. But if you're offering a unique kind of food or you know something that you really can get people behind. And I think this is where you can use, you know, as food bloggers, you can use your niche to create something unique that you have to offer that people might want to back and get behind so that you could produce. So something out of the ordinary, something that's not just your standard topic, food topic. Right. You know, with Kickstarter, you're asking people to help you create something. And so you want to to offer that creation to be something that they want to see come into existence. And so if it's something that already exists, that you might not be able to get people to be enthusiastic about backing it the way something truly unique and unusual might be able to grab people's attention. I think there is, we're seeing this over and over these days with just all the products and services available is that niching down is really valuable. And this is proof of that too, just further proof that when you niche down, you will find those people who really want those really specific products. I agree. I think niching down is a good example in, in the Kickstarter context. And the other thing that I think works on Kickstarter or the idea of launching a product or a project. So for example, I knew I have a friend who wanted to launch a grocery store, like a small market for zero waste products. So, so products that they did not have packaging, that they were sold in bulk. You brought in your own jars or containers for the, the bulk products. And she wanted to launch that in Salt Lake and didn't have the money to front for the store. And so she launched a Kickstarter campaign and she had rewards. She would have things like like a little grocery bag, or, you know, like a, like a reusable grocery bag or some prints or, you know, she had people donate things that could be shared and that would go along with the zero waste lifestyle. 
And so she was able to offer rewards, but what she was trying to build was actually a storefront. And so that's kind of a little bit different idea. So if you have a project or something you want to build, I think if there's a movement of something that people want to get behind, for her, it was the zero waste lifestyle, that, that there were people that wanted to back that and help her build something, even though the thing they were getting wasn't like specifically a product, if that makes sense. So not necessarily a service, but like you called it a movement. And I think that it's kind of hard to wrap my head around that too. What are some other examples of movements that food bloggers specifically might want to back? I think it, look at your niche. Like what is, I think the question you want to ask yourself is what would I build if I had the money and what do people want to see me build? Is it a product? You know, do you want to build um, a certain kind of portal where people can submit their recipes and that would be something unique and different than exists out there and you need money to do that? You're creating something from nothing. And so the, the idea of a movement is what do people want to get behind? What do they want to support? You know, what is it that you can offer that will inspire people to donate that money so that you can create something? Because I think that's what Kickstarter's for. Physical products, yes, creating something from nothing, and you're asking people to help you do that. So what would I build if I had the money to do it? Yeah, that helps explain a little bit better. And then I also like something you said earlier to kind of back up the rewards-based idea is that you can get donations to offer as rewards. So it's not something that you necessarily need to create. You don't need to go out and create like five different things to offer. You can ask other businesses or people to donate in order to offer rewards. So I thought that was important to point out as well. Yeah, that's I, there was a project we had seen that someone was building it was actually for a mason jar it was another mason jar product but it was for cold brew coffee and they had got they had partnered with a coffee company and so as part of the rewards they were offering samples of the coffee that went along with what they were doing do you have any other thoughts on other physical products besides cookbooks you mentioned cookbooks what else could food bloggers keep in mind well i think they should think about what what do i want in my kitchen is there a physical product that you know a special spatula or a spoon or you know what is it that i want in my kitchen so that i can cook the way i love to cook you know what is it that i would want to have and that that's a good way to start you know solve your own problems first so that you can offer that to someone else. And I think that's a good way to start thinking about what kind of product would I offer? Because that's how the spout came about is it was something that I wanted. I wanted a lid for a mason jar that I could use for my syrup. And so I was solving my own problem to create a product. And I think it's really hard to just build something that you don't already passionately love. Like what do you want in your kitchen that you could offer to someone else as well? And another underlying theme here that I see all the time in food blogging is that you need to figure out what your own problems are and solve those for not only you, but your audience or people that are having the same issues. So I love that, Kate. Solve your own problems first, because then you are guaranteed to be passionate about it. And you're not just like willy nilly picking some topic like I'm going to create a X product and you know like you really truly believe in it and you have a reason to because it's a problem for you so you want to solve that problem for other people so just like taking a step back looking at your kitchen looking in your pantry seeing what helps you do you have any other thoughts on that? I think that's the best place to start. And I think you're right. It's easier to get someone to come along with you and to support a project when you already feel so passionately about it. It's hard 
to get someone to support a project just because it's kind of cool. You're like, oh, I made this and you should support it. It's easier to say, hey, I made this. I love it. And then people can see how it will fit into their lives as well. People sense that sincerity, especially when you're an influencer, they know if you're being sincere. And if you are, they're more likely to back you and to want to get the product in their hands as well. Absolutely. Now, can we quickly chat about why someone would choose to launch a product with Kickstarter versus just doing a pre-sale from their website? Yeah, I think this is an excellent question because I think, you know, food bloggers are really savvy, especially when it comes to building their websites and selling, you know, digital products or things on there. And so you certainly could take in some pre-sales in order to raise the funds to build something. And I think lots of people do that, but there are some advantages that Kickstarter offers. And I think the first is it offers an out, meaning that Kickstarter you set a goal of what you want to raise. And if you don't meet that goal, then you don't have to do the project. I think what's nice about that is if you know, like, it's not going to be worth it to me to, you know, to build a cookbook or to do this unless I have at least this much money, you know, say I need at least $5,000 or it's not going to be worth it. You know, if you launch a presale on your website, you might get 5,000, but you might get, you know, only four. And then you have all these people you have to tell that, you know, you're not going to do it. And then there's a certain amount of disappointment. And so with Kickstarter, you can say, we need this much money to go forward. And what's nice about Kickstarter is no one gets charged until the very end of the project, not when it funds, when it ends. So, you know, a, a project might run for 30 days on Kickstarter. It might fund on the third day. No one gets charged until day 30. It has to go all the way through the 30 days and before people even get charged. And so there is that little out that makes it, you can cancel a project or if you don't meet your goal, you don't have to move forward. That's a huge, huge benefit because I can't imagine having raised, like you said, $5,000 from various people and then having to go back and say, oh, sorry, (laughs) decided not to do this. You know, like that would just be messy. So I can see that being a nightmare. So that is a huge, I would say probably the number one benefit. But what are some other benefits? Um, I think the other benefit is that even if you raise enough money, you need to communicate with all of these people as you move forward with building the project. You know, cookbooks, you might be able to do the cookbook a little bit, you know, depending on how much you've done work you've done up front. But, you know, if you're building a physical product, that manufacturing process is a beast and things don't always go right and deadlines get passed and you are often missing expectations. And one of the nice things about Kickstarter is the platform has a way for you to email all of your backers at once and it maintains those updates on the project website. So it allows you to communicate with your backers in a way that is formal and sort of has everything in one place and you can keep them updated. And I think the other thing about Kickstarter is most people know that you're building a project and it probably isn't going to go perfectly. Because they know it's a Kickstarter, there is a certain expectation that it's not going to go smoothly. And so you're not constantly having to tell people why things aren't going perfect and why things are going a little differently. Okay, I like that you can communicate with people People as you go through the project, as it evolves. And I also like that people go into Kickstarter with an understanding that there is going to be some issues probably. Whereas if you went to somebody's website and decided to back them on a certain project, you may not assume that. You may just assume that things are going to go perfectly and here's my money and it's going to be put to good use. So talk to us about the users on Kickstarter. How do they get there? How do they know about Kickstarter? Because like as a user, I would never 
that would not be on my radar at all. Yeah, there's two ways people to come to Kickstarter. And this was true of us as you know, as well as other projects is one, you bring your own audience with you. When we decided we were going to go for it and launch our Kickstarter campaign, my husband had said to me, we need to build an email list of five to 10,000 people before we launch. And the reason for that is in order to, to benefit from the algorithm of Kickstarter, you need to fund as quickly as possible. So you bring your own people. And some of these people might not have ever heard of Kickstarter or been on Kickstarter. And I think that's where we can be social media savvy and we can educate our own audience. And that's something that we did, but we did our best to educate our own audience. And then the people who are on Kickstarter already understand that, if that makes sense. So you can bring your own audience along. So if you have an email list or if you have a Facebook following or any sort of social media following, just inform them about it and they can come over along with you. I think so. And I think today that's almost necessary. There was a time when Kickstarter first launched. It was so new and novel that all you had to do is put up a project and it would fund. Like it was exciting because it was so new and novel that this was available. And, you know, Kickstarter's 10 years old. It would be the equivalent of, you know, creating an Instagram account and expecting people to find you and follow you immediately. I don't think any of us think that that's how Instagram works. We know that we have to work hard to find our people to, you know, to, to make sure they can easily find us and to, to go find other people and ask them to like us and to partner with people. Kickstarter is the same thing. You can think of it almost like a social media platform. It's a place where you do need to bring your own people and you can bring them and then you can have all the benefits of Kickstarter, but you do need to bring them or you're going to have a hard time funding. You can't expect to launch a project and it will fund itself. Got it. So is there a community already established on Kickstarter or is that yes. not the case? Yes, there is. And I would say that this is where another benefit of Kickstarter is it can open you up to a new audience. When we started our campaign, most of the people in the first you know, couple days and weeks were really our own people. Over a thousand backers for our campaign. So a thousand people donated. Over half of those were from the Kickstarter community. That Over half of those were people who found us because we funded and we were launching this project. And so Kickstarter has an algorithm and they're more likely to show your project to people if it funds quickly and people continue to donate. Similar to what Instagram might be, like the more people who like and comment on your post, the more people will see it. And it's the same kind of thing with Kickstarter. The more people that donate and share and are interacting with your project, then the more people on the platform they're going to show it to. And so you're more likely to to gather additional people that may not be your audience in the first place, but want to support your project and then become your audience. And so I think Kickstarter can open up, you know, new audiences to you. I think that's really interesting that it has an algorithm that it kind of can read just like social other social media platforms can read what's popular and kind of distribute based on that. So that's really cool. Are there any other benefits to choosing to go through to Kickstarter versus just a website? I think those are the main ones. So I pointed out, you have an out, you have a formal means of communicating and sort of a place to manage your product project. And you also ha- can be open to new audiences. I, I want to give one downside to Kickstarter. And that is Kickstarter takes a percentage of what you raise. And I believe it's 5 to 7%, I want to say. I think it's 5%. Okay. So that's how they make their money is if project 
does not fund, then you don't have to pay anything. But if it funds, they're going to take a percentage of what you raise before they turn that back over to you. So there's a cost to using it. And so that may be a downside. You might be able to, you know, retain more money if you do a presale, but there are these benefits and that's what you're paying for. Are there any other hiccups or hangups that you have encountered in your personal journey with this that you'd be willing to share in addition to the percentage that is taken? There are other costs. You do have to pay the swipe fees. Kickstarter will take its fees plus the credit card processing fees through Stripe. So you're going to lose almost 10% off the top. And those are the only fees that are required to be paid. If you are doing any kind of Facebook advertising or other things during the campaign in order to promote the project, then there will be additional fees. You can hire marketing experts for Kickstarter campaigns, which are other fees. So, But those ones are optional. The only required fees are the percentage for Kickstarter and then the credit card processing fees. I think the cautionary tale that I might say is if you are going to launch a campaign, make sure you know that you have a way to pay for everything you need to pay for in order to fulfill the campaign once it's funded. Like, for example, if you know you need, you know, say you need $8,000 in order to launch a cookbook and do the run and you raise $8,000, but then you lose 10% off the top of that and you don't have that extra funds that you have to find some way to get that. And those can be really big numbers when you're talking about a physical product. And let me give you an example. We set our initial goal as $10,000 because we wanted to fund quickly. We raised $40,000 and all of that $40,000 went to manufacturing. And in order to purchase the product, we end up having to get a business loan to fulfill that. Because And, and we knew that going into it, that we were never going to raise enough money on Kickstarter to do 100% of what it was going to cost for the project. And we planned for that. And so if you are doing a physical product, you should budget carefully. You might be able to raise enough to pay for everything, but you might have to find other means to supplement the Kickstarter campaign so that you can fulfill what you're trying to do. You need to do your research and find out what those costs are up front before you launch the project. If you do raise above and beyond what your goal was, though, you can use some of that for those extra fees that you were talking about, Oh, correct? absolutely. Yeah. We were great to have raised what we did, but it wasn't enough. We were able the molds, but then if we wanted to purchase the inventory so we would have some to sell, that's where we needed the extra funds. Okay, gotcha. Anything else that you've learned just going through this experience that you feel like someone else should know up front before they dive in? I feel like sometimes people don't want to launch a product. It feels very daunting to create a physical product and launch it. But I think one of the things I learned is it's totally doable. You know, people say, how did you do that? Like, the, how did you figure out the manufacturing? How did you do all that? I didn't know how to do any of these things before we launched. My background isn't in product design or product development or manufacturing. But once you you're passionate about a project, I think each step becomes, how do I solve this? What's in front of me? And you slowly move forward and you can do it. And I think, so if I've learned anything, I think take that dream. Like if you, you know, lots of people say, oh, I have this idea. Take that dream, find a way to do it. You know, take your idea and bring it to life because it's so exciting to live in a world where there are places like Kickstarter that can help you launch a product where there was a time where you had to have all your cash up front and you had to, you know, have the right connections and you had to be able to do something 
you know, big with a lot of capital, but we live in a world where you can crowdfund, where you can get on the internet and you can find a bunch of passionate people that are willing to support you and your dream and make it a reality. Amen. I love what you just said, because I do think that people get that mindset of like seeing the big picture and being so overwhelmed that they're like, no way. I can't even comprehend starting something like that. But what you just said is such a gem, because if you just take that first step and then guess what? your next step is revealed after you do that first step. And then the next thing, like you said, Kate, the great thing about living in our world today is that we can learn anything online. You can go to Google and literally learn anything. So if you don't know what your first step is when you want to create a physical product, Google it. Exactly. (laughs) See what comes up and then do that thing. And then after that, do the next thing and the next thing. And pretty soon you're going to be able to look back and see that you've taken all these steps and you had no idea what you were doing. You didn't know going into it how to create a physical product. But look, you have a product and you earned all that money. And I mean, that's amazing. It's so inspiring. So I love what you just said. I think anyone can do it. Yes, absolutely. It's doable. Don't get hung up. So can you talk to us a little bit about the course that you are launching? I know you're launching a course on how to navigate through Kickstarter campaigns. So tell us a little bit about that. Yeah. So I partnered with a women's networking group here in Salt Lake City. And their goal is to help women become financially independent. And so they're constantly looking for ways to support and help women build and grow their businesses. And so I did an e-course for them and they had told me it was going to launch in October, but I haven't heard final date, but it's an e-course that actually walks you through what you need to do to launch a successful Kickstarter campaign. So I'll be sure to, um, Megan, keep you informed so that if there, once the link becomes available, that you can put it in the show notes because yeah, they told me it was going to be October, but here we are and it's not quite ready yet, but I'll be for sure make that available so that if people are interested in what they need to do to actually successfully fund a campaign that that is available. Oh, absolutely. We can put that in your show notes. And I love the, um, just the idea behind that, helping women become more independent and yeah, just seeking financial independence and having that ability and knowledge to launch a campaign. And I'm sure you probably go into like how to think about products too. Is that something that you dive into in your course? Not so much. It's really focused on the campaign. But if people are interested in sort of you might take in starting to create a physical product, then they can reach out to me online. If you have an idea, build a prototype, build it out of Play-Doh if you have to. Just find a way to bring the idea into a physical space, no matter what it's made out of. The first place to start with a product that you have in your head is to make it physical in some way. If you have to build it out of Play-Doh, build it out of Play-Doh, but you know, build it out of cardboard, find a way to take that idea and make a physical manifestation of that idea so that you can continue to, to build and refine it and make sure that it works. When it comes to Kickstarter, you cannot launch a Kickstarter campaign unless you have a functional prototype. And the reason for that is over the years, Kickstarter has had projects launched that weren't possible to be created. Like the equivalent would be saying that someone launched a lightsaber, right? Like, I'm going to build a lightsaber, donate to it. And they, you know, they raise several million dollars because everyone wants a lightsaber, but it's not possible to build that project. So you have to have a functional prototype in order to launch the campaign. So start there, start with, you know, bringing your idea into a physical space. 
Okay, so I really like that, just that visual of having a physical manifestation, like you said, Kate, of your idea. And yeah, it totally makes sense that if you can't produce a product up front, that people wouldn't back it because it's not real. It's an idea. But an idea has to actually come out into a physical product first before you expect people to back it. So I loved your idea of just taking Play-Doh or cardboard or whatever um, materials you have on hand and just starting there again, it's that taking that first step, right? And just doing one thing and seeing how you can build it or make it into a reality and then going from there. I love that you gave that visual. Exactly. Okay, so I'm looking forward to getting information on that course. That sounds amazing. And you have me all pumped up. I'm like thinking of stuff right now that I, I'm i going to go check out Kickstarter. I've looked at it, you know, a little bit over the years, but I've never really dug into it. My curiosity is definitely peaked. So well, thank you. I think you. one of the nice things about Kickstarter as well is every Kickstarter campaign that has ever existed still exists on their platform. And so you can Google anything. So so if you were interested in a cookbook, Google Kickstarter cookbook and go see which ones funded, which ones didn't, you know, what did their campaign look like? And so it's actually a really great resource for doing research, because if you have an idea, go see if it's been done before or something like it. You know, we researched every mason jar project that had been done on Kickstarter before we launched and found campaigns that we liked and we sort of patterned ours after theirs. And so I love that about Kickstarter is it's completely available via Google to find things that you want to find. So would you have to search through Google or do they have a database on their website? They do have a database on their website, but I tend to like Google because I'm like, if Google's picking it up, it's telling me something about the SEO of that particular project. That's super valuable. Is there anything we've missed discussing about Kickstarter that you would like to mention before we say goodbye, Kate? I think I've covered the basics, but of course, I'm happy to answer questions if people think of something that that we haven't covered or want to shoot me an email or, uh, you know, a DM on Instagram. I'm always happy to answer questions about Kickstarter. Thank you. This was really fun. And I really appreciate you sharing this information. It's something that I think a lot of food bloggers don't really have on their radar because we're so busy. We have all these other things to do. So it's kind of a cool thing to think about and a new avenue too, not just kind of taking the pressure off of us to do the selling if we do have a great idea for a product. So I really like that that we talked about it. So thank you for being here today. And I really appreciate everything. Thanks for you've having said. me. Yes. So before you go, share with us a favorite quote or words of inspiration for food bloggers. So this is a little quote that someone had posted on Instagram a while ago and it had shared it and I had seen it and I saved it because I really, really liked it. And this is the idea. Destroy the idea that you have to be constantly working or grinding in order to be successful. Embrace the concept that rest, recovery, and reflection are essential parts of the progress towards a successful and ultimately happy life. Oh, that has some gold in there because you're speaking to a bunch of people who hustle. Yep. So <laughs> it's a gentle reminder to slow down a little bit and yes. rest. I, well, I fall into the same. I think entrepreneurs are a lot like food bloggers that we hustle hard and think that we have to constantly be pushing in order to find that success. But rest, recovery and reflection are essential parts. And it actually adds to the restoration and adds to productivity if you do it. So yes, thank you for that reminder. I really appreciate that. And I know food bloggers will as well. Kate has a list of favorite resources relating to today's topic, including information about her course. These can be found on her show notes page at eatblogtalk.com forward slash Kate Hansen. Kate, tell my listeners the best place to find you online. We are on Instagram and Facebook. 
with Ergo Spout. So that's where you can find me. Awesome. Oh, I was going to say, Go and ahead. our website's colonesco.com. Yes. Thank you again, Kate. And thank you for listening today, food bloggers. I will see you next Thanks. time. We're glad you could join us on this episode of Eat Blog Talk. For more resources based on today's discussion, as well as show notes and an opportunity to be on a future episode of the show, be sure to head to eatblogtalk.com. If you feel that hunger for information, we'll be here to feed you on Eat Blog Talk.